Hey, Kevin here, Skylabs, bringing you another episode. In this episode of the Skylabs Vintage Audio Podcast, this is the first episode of the Buyer Beware series where we look at different manufacturers or problematic models from different manufacturers or even formats. Generally, just some things that you might want to know before you make a purchase, as some people, including myself back in the day, made some mistakes when buying equipment, not really knowing what I was getting into. Hopefully you enjoy the episode, maybe one of these you haven't heard of yet as being an issue. So once again, sit back, relax, or get your workout started, whatever you do by listening to podcasts, and enjoy this one. I appreciate it. Thank you. There are a lot of problematic issues with either manufacturers or specific pieces of equipment. And I think we'll highlight a couple of those every episode of the series. It should be hopefully really informative without bashing on anything. That is my intention. I get no gratification from saying something is of poor quality. It's just of poor quality. That's all it is. And the first one on our buyer beware list is MCS. And I don't think MCS is a huge shocker to a lot of people out there. Uh, MCS was a store brand for JC Penney's. I think some of the models even said JC Penney on the faceplate. And like Realistic and some of the other manufacturers, these weren't made by MCS. There's a lot of speculation as to who made the turntables, who made the cassette decks, who made the receivers, that type of thing. But the majority kind of agree that it was Panasonic Techniques, NEC, and a company called Foster which evidently became Fostex. This is just what I saw online, so don't take any of that as truth. And I'll definitely say, as far as the MCS brand goes, uh, their turntables are not that bad. The receivers are a different ball game. And with the receivers, over the years, we've had the gamut of them, uh, small entry level, midline, and you know the big, uh, more monster type receivers. I think some of them are better than others, but too many times we've had really poor service literature with no voltages. I'm not going to mix words. In my opinion, the motto should have been get us these specs for as cheap as you can and try and make it last through the warranty. And I know that's going to upset some people out there because I have a few customers that come in that really do like MCS. And these units don't sound that bad. I'm not saying that from a text perspective with the lack of literature and the really poor components, they're just not very serviceable. And that, that's just the bottom line. There's a reason why they are so much cheaper than everything else. If you compare watt to watt with almost anything out there, the MCS will be a quarter of the price of what a more premium brand would be and it's because of the quality of the components they used. And for those of us that have been in this hobby for long enough, just looking at a couple photos of these, you can see some red flags going off. MCS definitely wasn't scared of using bells and whistles to draw you into their products. A lot of graphic EQs, a lot of elaborate graphics, maybe showing you more scientific type of things just to make it look more sophisticated than it was. But really, it's hard to get past the look of the cheap knobs and the little red LED indicators. It doesn't take much to realize that, that these were very, very economically built. They had an economical price point. They did sound really good for their price. I'm not disputing that. 
But as far as something that's serviceable or worthy of putting a decent repair into, personally, I would just put my money someplace else. Um, get yourself an entry level Yamaha, Pioneer, Sansui, uh, what have you. Just be careful when buying MCS equipment. You might have trouble finding somebody to fix it. Most likely the repair would be more expensive than finding another one that's already working. It's just the way it is. So if you love MCS, I'm sorry. Um, and the next one I wanted to talk about, I kind of picked this one off my list because I really love the Sansui 9090DB. It would be easier for me to come off as not bashing it because I really, really like these receivers. Um, this is a flagship receiver from one of my favorite brands. They have one of my favorite looks to them. This is 115 watts per, or maybe it's 130. It might be 130 watts per channel. It's one of the two, either 115 or 130. Anyway, the 9090DB does have a really big issue. And this is specific to the Sansui 9090DB, the 8080DB, and the European counterparts, the 890 or the 990DB for Sansui. I've had people ask me before, they'll say, I've got a Marantz with a Dolby board in it, or I've got the Sansui G9000 Dolby. And, you know, am I going to have an issue with it? And no, this is specific to uh, these two models. So, and it is something you just need to know about because not a lot of people will work on these, even though you might read online that, oh, it's simple, you can bypass it. It's really not that hard. Why the process of bypassing it is really not that difficult. It is extremely time consuming and paying a technician their hourly rate to do this long, tedious process. Um, it, it's really going to get expensive and it's really going to slow down the workflow. So um, for that reason, as of now, um, we're going to continue not to service, not to purchase and not to sell the 9090 dBs or 8080 dBs. And with the Dolby board, the reason this becomes such an issue is I think it was mainly for um, recording to tape. If you were recording FM or your record player or what have you, you could put the Dolby noise reduction on your source before sending it uh, to be recorded. And when this Dolby board fails, what it does is it, it cuts off your inputs and doesn't allow them to send that audio source to the amplifier. So it has to be fixed or bypassed. You have two choices. Now with the Dolby board, there's also two variants. You have the early version, which is a green ribbon cabled Dolby board. And you have the later version, which is black. And the black ribbon cable is supposed to be better. It's thicker. It has less tendencies to crack and cause failures like the green one does. So outside of the Dolby board issue, there is a possibility that even the ribbon cable used to attach the Dolby board to the other boards uh, could fail as well. So if you have a choice of purchasing two 9090 dBs and one has a green and one has a black one, take the black one. That might save you another issue. Just want to bring this up, even though to a lot of people that have been in the, the vintage audio world a long time are very well aware of this issue, we do have people quite often that are 9090 dB owners that hear about it for the first time when they call us or they come in. You might never have an issue with your Dolby board, but if you do, 
you're going to be kind of limited on who repairs it and how much it's going to cost and if it's even repairable at all or maybe it might have to be bypassed just doing a quick google search on 9090db you you'll get a lot of information on a lot of people's struggles to get these repaired we are not unique um, in not working on the sansui dolby boards so and the next one on the list is going to be quadraphonic receivers and we see this one quite a bit people will come in with a quadraphonic receiver go check out skylabsaudio.com forward slash shop if you'd like to grab a cool t-shirt or something like that and we'll see you in the next video definitely appreciate it